This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's the hunt for the worst Christian song of all time. Again, today on Good Christian Fun. My butthole's tickling all the time. Do you think you can make God laugh? No, bitch. You're a clown if you say fuck. I'm a Christian wife. <laughs> Sicario. I'm a Christian wife. White women are notoriously shifty. I'm a Christian wife. You should be upset that I had a laugh with her. Clean up on aisle, but. Our gosh is an awesome gosh he reigns from heaven above with Mickey and Minnie and Pluto. Our gosh is an awesome gosh. Our gosh is an awesome gosh he reigns from heaven above with Mickey and Minnie and Pluto. Our gosh is an awesome gosh. I guess that's him going to heaven or something. I don't know. Welcome, <laughs> oh, no. Welcome to Good Christian Fun. I'm Kevin. I'm Caroline. And we're here to have some garshed on good, good Christian fun, I mm, think. Yeah, we are. It's too bad your neighbors are gone. Oh. They would have hopefully called 911. No, I know. know. No, they would have joined you in from on, yourself. <laughs> on backup. <laughs> Uh, I realize every time we play that theme song and I don't prep the guests for it, like, oh yeah, this is a chaotic thing that doesn't make sense sonically. <laughs> Me but like screaming obscenities. You'll just be orally <laughs> assaulted by it. Yes. If you say you're a Christian wife and screaming about white women. Good Christian Fun is a podcast where we talk about Christian pop culture, the music, the movies, and the entertainment made for and made by Christians, allegedly. Allegedly made mm. and made for by Christians. We'll see if that's always scoop. the case. Yeah, uh, but we're not here to make fun of you to make you go to church. We're not here to proselytize to you either. We're just here to have fun. We're here to goofy off. We're just we're just here to goof off, and have, we will close the show as per usual with a goofy <laughs> off, where myself, Caroline, and the guests have a, a competing, <laughs> a very goofy prayer. Yeah, Lord <laughs> save me, God. Yeah, no, it's very sad. No, he does the sinner's prayer, but he means <laughs> save it. me, God. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. I mean, listen, that the goofy movie opens up. Goofy is a widower. He has lost his wife. He has Tragic. much to pray about. He needs yeah. to. Uh, raised his son Max in all the ways of the Lord, so he cares. He has about hope it. in heaven. Yeah. Hey, so we're we're doing a game we haven't done in a hot minute. We're doing the hunt for the worst Christian song of all. Yeah, time. we heard you guys missed it. We you, guess what? You okay. missed it. We heard you. We see you, and we're coming for you once again. And remember that when November comes and you cast your ballots, remember who <laughs> took care of you on the Good Christian Fun podcast, <laughs> and never That's forget right. it. Uh, but it's time to stop goofing around. It's time to start to introduce our very special guest, friends and folks. He's a musician. You can catch him on the Liturgist podcast and stream his album Cosmos now. Everybody give it the hell up for William We're saved. We're saved. He's here. He's coming down from the clouds into our podcast studio virtually on Zoom.com. 
best intro ones. I've ever had. Thank you. Oh, wow. yes. Absolutely. Oh, God. What an honor for someone that does a lot of podcasts that, uh, you know, that, that means a lot to hear that from you. Yeah. Thank Gracious. you. I've never Please felt more honored. <laughs> this is it. Peak of the pandemic. Well, happy to be a part of it. Your highest high thus far. <laughs> yeah, this is it. And, you know, it's the little things in life we have to celebrate. So thank you for that mm-hmm. incredible intro. It's the little things in life that we all have to celebrate at all anymore now. Caroline and I yep. were talking no about yesterday. What's that? <laughs> no more big things. Not even the sky. Today, well, today I thought truly on a walk today, newly equipped for myself, I said, today I'm grateful for my new mask that has ventilators on it nice. that I had to buy <laughs> living in the evacuation, evacuation zone in Pasadena, California. So I'm grateful for that. A little thing. Oh, are we all in LA? I didn't even know that. We are. I believe we are. Oh, yes, you're sir. in LA too. I'm in the Hollywood Hills. Oh. <laughs> Not in any vac zone. No smokes there. Okay. Now, All the smokes. Now he's Smoke he's doing a taunting little dance, rubbing it in our San Gabriel Valley faces that we do yes. not live in the Hollywood Hills. Yes, now, I- as someone who has watched a lot of Selling Sunset recently, uh, was your house one of the ones that they sold? <laughs> No, 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 uh, not at all. (laughs) I've actually never seen that show. Uh, Uh, It's all about selling stuff in the Hollywood Hills. So that's all I know about that region at this point. We have a bad reputation up here because too many people throw house parties, especially during the pandemic. And so you have these house parties and uh, we have house parties and random shootings. That's uh, believe it or not. Oh, damn. I even had had a shooting outside my, my house a month ago. Are you serious? Um, literally right outside my door, and the guy tried to, he banged on my door, uh, the gunman trying to get in, yeah. What? It was, yep. And uh, it was a drug oh deal God. gone wrong. Uh, uh, one guy drove into our cul-de-sac not knowing it didn't let out, and uh, he got his windows blown out by the car behind <gasps> him. Then he was trying to store some meth in my neighbor's yard, and then, <laughs> yeah, and then the gunman like fired at him, like shot him in like the neck, like nicked him, and then Damn. ran off. <laughs> And uh, to yeah, your house. <laughs> it, I heard nine gunshots. I was I was at home. It was the oh, wildest William, that's thing. That's horrifying. I am so sorry. That is oh, so scary. It's okay. It happens to me. Rappers like literally get killed up here all the time. <laughs> like it's it's just <laughs> it's the Hollywood Hills. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's the place to be. Do you think mm-hmm. the uh, that'd be gunman... funny if the gunman? Oh, maybe Would... we're having the same thought, Kevin. Let's say it at the same okay. time. <laughs> Did the, <laughs> gunman the gunman go to your house because he saw welcome at that said live laugh love? <laughs> <laughs> no and no. Okay. <laughs> he was just trying to get away, and oh uh, they gosh. eventually caught him like the next day. But when I heard the gunshots, I went out. I saw the guy who had been shot, but I couldn't tell that he had been shot. And I saw the window blown out. I was like, "This is awkward." So I just closed and locked my door. And then uh, twenty minutes later, the, my neighbor kept calling me, and I answered. And they're like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah." They're like. All, there's 10 cops out here. All the neighbors are out here. You're the only one missing. We thought the gunman was inside with you. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh and so God. I came out and like had to, you know, talk to the police, show them I'm where good. the like cameras were around. And like, anyway, they, they caught everybody. Everybody wow. went to jail. And uh, yeah, it's, it the happens. level of laissez-faire with which you're telling this story and the effect it seems to not have had on you. I'm very impressed. Or maybe we're all just like hardened, you know, this time <laughs> that we're in. 
<laughs> There's just an element of danger you have to have living in Los Angeles. You have to be okay with. You, it's just an acceptable risk, I think. Yes, yeah, I but so. maybe that level of trauma is something where it's like, okay, there's a beginning, middle, end. There's clearly a bad guy here. I can understand this mm. and process it. So it does feel like a relief compared to a infinite pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I can process this trauma. Fine. Yeah, this is fine. I mean, also, I did grow up in Detroit, too. So, you know, they... they Hmm. <laughs> There's just things I've seen in my life. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, oh my yeah. God. Well, we'd That's love that. to talk to you about yeah your your upbringing and growing up in Detroit. How'd you grow up with faith stuff and religion? Oh, it was I was indoctrinated from the from the crib for real. Okay. <laughs> my dad uh, wasn't like an associate pastor when I was little. My grandfather was a missionary minister his most of his life and a factory worker in the Midwest. And uh, so I'm like third generation church ministry kid like i grew up a pk and my dad was an associate pastor for a while in detroit at two different churches and then uh moved us to raleigh north carolina when i was 10 and was like a head pastor of a a church near downtown raleigh and pretty much did that till i was probably 16 or 17 um and what denomination with that was what flavor so it was Church of God, but not Cleveland, Tennessee Church of God. There's one out of Anderson, Indiana. They have like a, a college and everything up in Anderson, Indiana. Um, and uh, yeah, it's the, the denomination was real crazy because it was pretty split along racial lines. So there was like a, a white denomination and a black version. And they had two oh. separate campgrounds. <laughs> like, so obviously we were part of the black one. And oh uh, yeah, but it was it was a, it was really beautiful. So I, I mean, even growing up in Detroit, I would spend summers at the campground with my grandfather uh, doing summer camps and also church revival, you know, camps. And it was like all the Church of God, black churches from all over the country would come, you know, spend several weeks, you know, basically camping or staying in hotels in Western Pennsylvania, um, this little That's town called West Middlesex, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Rolling Hills. So I, I always had this interesting like urban inner city upbringing, but also rural conservative country <laughs> upbringing mm-hmm. as well, too. I mean, there was Amish people that lived uh, on, uh, we called it Zion's Hill in West Middlesex. That's where the, the campground was. And uh, uh, yeah, I used to like kick it with the Amish people <laughs> like, they, in their buggies. <laughs> like they would ride up, ride up Zion's Hill. And uh, yeah. And so then, and then moving to the South, um, very much. Yeah. I've been all over. I've lived all over. So I feel kind of, yeah cultured in that way to be polycultural yes highly yeah yes wait wait to say that right (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool and um what i don't know a lot about like the church of god denomination like is there a big differentiator between that and other kind of protestant ones or yeah well i would say church of god is very much in the the holiness camp very holy uh holiness or hell very much the motto um, two big H's. <laughs> yes, yes, but but H&H. shockingly, H and H, we weren't uh, we weren't quite Pentecostal either. So there's Church of mm-hmm. God in Christ, which is one of the largest Black denominations, and is very Pentecostal. Some of the history that I've been told is that you know Church of God kind of broke off from Church of God in Christ, like back in like after Azusa or something, um, over the issue of speaking in tongues. So I I grew up kind of thinking it was okay, but not okay to speak in tongues. Like we were in this weird quasi middle ground. We weren't super charismatic. We were actually a little liturgical and a little non-denominational kind of mixed together. Um, but when I say holiness, I mean like when my dad was coming up, he couldn't go see movies. Uh, 
Oh, like yeah. women couldn't wear pants in church. Wear they had stuff. to wear skirts. Yes. Um, and I mean, it was a big deal when I was a teenager when my, when my mother started wearing pants to church. Like that was her like liberation in the wow. church was doing that. Uh, I always tell the story how my parents uh, didn't have wedding rings at their wedding because jewelry was a sin. So they gave each other on their wedding day wedding watches. <laughs> Isn't that Imagine jewelry, though? <laughs> it's just bigger watch, like, jewelry, big but bracelet? useful. <laughs> it's functional. It's functional. It's a tool. It's a tool. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. I yeah. Was, that's kind of rad. <laughs> Very much so. I mean, by the time we came along, they were a, a lot more laid back. Uh, you know, I, my dad was very free. He would let me watch lots of TV shows. Like, I remember I went to an AG private school for first and second grade, uh, a white AG private school in Dearborn, Michigan, Fairlane Christian. And they told me that I couldn't watch Bewitch. Remember that old TV show? Oh, yeah. The Witch. Yeah. And they were like, you can't watch that show because it's witchcraft and God says no. And I came home crying to my dad in first grade. Like, Daddy, no. They told me I can't. I love this show. And I watch it every day after school. And my dad was like, don't listen to them. You can watch Bewitch. So I felt like I had this strange upbringing where church was kind of very strict, but then in our home life, in our family life, uh, even in our extended family life, you know, we we found ways to kind of resist a lot of the religiosity um, and uh, you know, super um, it's almost sectarianist uh, ideology that I think Church of God really had. So we were very much like, all right, we're going to go see movies, <laughs> we're going to like do the things the church tells us not to do, but that's because you know we're free, <laughs> and yeah. but don't tell everybody. <laughs> so. <laughs> Did you ever have a moment where you like felt like you wanted to tell on your parents where you were like maybe more bought in on the rules than they were? Like, you can't, <laughs> you oh, can't do this. You know, it's funny because they let us do things that they always wouldn't do themselves, I think, because they wanted us to be more free. So they weren't really as much the rule breakers other than my dad going to see rated R movies. That was very much like, mm. you know, and he would often take me and my sister like Terminator when we were like super small, like back in like yes. 1991. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like seeing like heavy rated R movies at that age with my dad, <laughs> me and my sister. Um, but yeah, I never really told on him. It was like, my dad and mom are, I mean, very smart, intellectual people. They were readers. Um, obviously, my dad got a seminary degree. My mother has a master's. And uh, so my dad would always, you know, find these, you know, books and, you know, be exploring these theological things. And then I would go tell other people in the church if they said something that contradicted my dad. I was that snotty PK kid. I'm like, you know, my dad says that, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> Research has shown that uh, actually this reading is wrong. <laughs> yes, this interpretation in the my Greek daddy. doesn't even, <laughs> I was doing that at like 10 years old. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, no, they were they were pretty straight down the line. Um and then eventually, you know, we got filled with the spirit and uh I didn't I don't think I started speaking in tongues till I was 18. Uh which for a lot of people that's mm-hmm. actually way late in life. It's funny because the way you talked about being filled with the spirit is almost like how Jewish people talk about having their bar mitzvah. Where it's like, yeah. oh, of course, and then we had the filling of the spirit and as yeah. you do. <laughs> and then as we you went do on from there. Yeah, I had this, um, yeah, I went to the, the the Church of God youth camp and they made a mistake. They accidentally brought in a preacher who preached something that was against the denominational <laughs> tenets, like a preacher who actually wanted to baptize people in the Holy Spirit and with oh the God. evidence of speaking in tongues. And uh, and so we got all prayed for all the youth and uh, uh, the head of the uh, NIYC, it was the National Inspirational Youth Convention at the time, uh, he ended up getting fired over it. Like it was, a, it was a big thing. Like the parents <gasps> were like, you brought that Pentecostal stuff. I mean, this is a black denomination, but yeah. we were... Some people were okay with it in the denomination, but a lot of people weren't. And so, like, yeah. Against it. yeah. So I've, I don't know. Like I, and I started speaking in tongues before my parents. So 
I was me and my sister both. We we got the gift, so we were we we had our bar mitzvah before they did. So I like to <laughs> always rub worse. that in their nose, and that bit. created a lot of tension in the family. As it, it actually often. did. Did it actually? <laughs> yes, it oh, did. Because no. <laughs> my mom and dad were like, we've been praying for it our whole lives, and we haven't gotten it yet. And how you guys just got it? And I was like, that's oh, because wow. we were just activating it by faith. And I don't know, y'all are too religious. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, no. oh, my. oh, I was a snot. I was a <laughs> the arrogance. <laughs> Very like, much my like. childlike faith actually. And this yes. got me in. <laughs> got me into heaven by the That's evidence. Crazy. Of I thought you were going to say your parents were just sort of like against the the principle of like being baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they actually oh, no. wanted they it. Were, and they it wanted didn't it ever so receive. bad. My parents. Oh, you know, that's tragic. One thing I, I always loved about my parents, like I said, mentioned earlier, was they always gave us strands of liberation, even inside of oppressive spaces. Um, and one of those strands was, you know, kind of the more Pentecostal influence. And so we definitely like watch TV preachers that were Pentecostal, you know, or listen to tapes in the car, even though that was against, you know, the actual like written out belief statements of our denomination. And so mm-hmm. my parents were always like reaching for God and reaching for God outside of like what they were taught was acceptable. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they passed that value system very much along. They were very progressive for their day, you know, in terms of what they allowed us to be influenced by as children. Um, and also, too, resisting um, a lot of white supremacy, even inside of black church spaces uh, that oftentimes still envision like a white Jesus <laughs> or even had actual paintings of white Jesus, you know, wow. hanging on walls and and, wow. and find, like nativity scenes. Like my aunt just told me this story about how uh, uh, the church had this nativity scene outside of it in Detroit and they were all white. So, so her and like one of her friends went and like painted them black in the middle of the night. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's the best act of vandalism I've ever heard. Exactly. They were like, well, we can't officially change this, so we're going to like sneak attack. Tagged. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Very so much. Uh, yeah. And they were giving us very pro black materials, too, when I was a kid. So. I mentioned earlier about how I went to a white AG private school for first and second grade, but then I went to a very pro-black militant magnet school in Detroit, third through fifth grade. That was like all black teachers, all black students, very much teaching you the history of Africa, teaching you like all the major heroes, black men and women of, of American history. Um, and very much given us like a sense of pride in who we are and not to feel less than in the world. And now I look back and I was like, man, that was so pro-black. Like we celebrated Kwanzaa. <laughs> we were, you know, uh, uh, doing uh, school plays with like the African kings and queens and like I'm playing King Tutanan and like all these, you know, celebrating African culture at a very young yeah. age. So I kind of had like the white Christian nationalism and I also had very much pro-black um uh, influences all at the same time. Like even wow. our Bibles at home, like all the pictures were black people. Hmm. Um, wow. And that was my parents resisting, like very much like, we're not going to let you think that Jesus is just white. <laughs> like you're going to see a Jesus that looks like you. Yeah. Um, this so. is so different from so many of the stories of guests that we have on the show where oftentimes it's them trying to unpack or undo or untangle a lot of the things that their parents gave them growing up. And it sounds like yours, and I'm sure there were like, issues and you even alluded to some but it sounds like a lot of it is marked by gratitude for the tools and the and the things that they did give you at that time that would like lead into your future and your adult life in terms of like yeah marked by progressive ideas and 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 things of that nature yeah i i i'm thankful to them for that and i also know not everybody has that um and so for me my a lot of my 
spiritual deconstruction, so to speak. And I know that's a popular phrase that people use. I feel like I've been going through spiritual deconstruction since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Like that wasn't simply, you know, something that happened to me at one moment of crisis of faith. Like I've probably had eight major crises of faith since I was like eight (laughs) years old. (laughs) And like, like real things like, do I believe in hell or not? Like I remember picking up this Madeline LaEngle book as a teenager and like, oh gosh, she doesn't believe in hell. Is that, can you do that? Like, (laughs) oh, what is that about? Right. Or, um, (laughs) yeah. Or, or, you know, sitting in, in, a, in a white AG private school during Desert Storm when George W., excuse me, George Herbert Bush the first, you know, kind of led us into this. And I remember showing up to assembly at this white Christian school and they're playing Our God is an Awesome God with like troops and militarism and the cross and <laughs> very much like God and, and nationalism and the sword and military power. And we had a, yeah, a recruit guy come and speak and it was, and we're singing worship a recru- songs. A military recruitment yeah. guy came to speak? To an elementary school bunch, yeah. To your ch- little children? Yes. <laughs> but the way he came in is like it was a skit where he was Jesus and then he tore off the rope. And it was full camouflage, AK forty seven underneath. It was awesome. Army crawling he, I don't, on the devil. I actually found a picture of it because I I almost thought I made it up in my mind. So I did some research and I went through the the Detroit Free Press and found a picture from the actual <gasps> assembly from the actual year. And it and it's Whoa. they they had the American flags in balloons. Uh, so like red, white, and blue balloons like decked out. Oh, um, they spent some money. Oh, on yeah. this decor. Very for much this wow. big announcement. And, that is so uh, nasty. So, yeah. So I mean, that was a deconstruction. Like I having to process that as a kid with my parents. Like, hey, well, this is what mm. happened at school today. Like, totally. you know, yeah. those types of things. Uh, being led to, uh, being forced to read uh, the book of Revelation in second grade, and my parents had to come down to the school and say, "Why are you reading this for a second grader? We don't believe in your like." Uh, in time, like theories, like you're scaring mm-hmm. him. He has nightmares. Like you need to stop. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, my parents were always, you know, defenders and fighters for our space to be who we are. Um, and like I said, I know not everyone gets that. But later in life, when I've had deconstructions, I feel like I had a model for how to unpack and and wrestle through. It was tough. It was still hard, but I, I had a starting place where I realized not everyone always has that starting place. They're learning about ideas for the first time in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me in this era where everyone is very much pro-black, it's like, oh, this just feels like when I was in third grade again. <laughs> like It kind of yeah. like, we, we kind of stopped doing that. It wasn't cool anymore, right? And then, you know, all the, the, the woke stuff started happening and everyone's like, this is refreshing. This is new. And I'm like, this isn't new. This is the same <laughs> stuff from the 80s and the 90s black yeah, people were like talking about. it feels like everyone's catching up to where you were when you were a child. Yeah. And even myself being in, you know, white Christian spaces, having to downplay those aspects of myself because people just weren't ready for that. They didn't understand that. They didn't have a grid for any type of pro-black narrative Mm -hmm. about who we are as individuals and collectively, let alone how that interacts with, you know, people across racial lines. Like, so... uh, for a long time, in a weird way, I almost felt like, felt like a sleeper cell. <laughs> of, you know, just like like this ticking time bomb of just like, hey, I have all this insight and wisdom and revelation, and I come from a history and a culture and a past that is not appreciated and isn't asked about. No one cares about yeah. this. Um, and then when you know Black Lives Matter seven eight years ago started, you know, coming on the scene and um, agitating people, you know, then it's like, oh. Yeah, we do need to talk. You're about ready this. to hear this and won't think it's radical or yeah. like terrorism or something like that, or the way people a lot of compared to like 
Well, I I wish I could say those were my first interactions. (laughs) The first couple of years, they did think it was terrorism. (laughs) They thought it was anti-white. But Desert Storm was cool and God. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all on God's side fighting for the freedom of of the the, the world. The world, the Middle East. The whole piece in the Middle East thing and the sign and everything. I mean, we were kids. I remember like I see pictures of myself as kids doing like peace in the Middle East as... I mean, it was propaganda. We didn't realize fully at the time how much of that was just war propaganda perpetuated through Christianity. But, you know, all of us that had remotely any type of private school, you know, tutelage or or churches that were, you know, very enclosed, like you and you know that thing. You're pledging allegiance to the Christian flag. Like Mm -hmm. I grew up doing that, too. And the Uh Bible. Like who's pledging? I pledged to the Bible. (laughs) It's funny you brought up uh, that hymn in particular at that assembly because we just covered that last week. Awesome Awesome God. God. And it's so funny because we were, when we were reading through the lyrics, we both, we all picked up on like, gosh, this is so militaristic and it sounds like a march and it's all about God, like whooping ass basically Mm -hmm. since the dawn of time. (laughs) And it just, it had never really seemed that clear to me until like obviously looking back in retrospect of like, oh yeah, we were singing this like as a basically like war anthem for culture and then both literal war as well and the that's 90s, so sad and dark <laughs> i mean the the religious right you know the, the the moral majority i mean we we really i think there needs to be more documentaries and and real deep telling i know there's books a lot of books francis schaefer has written about it we really need to start telling the truth about where we are at right now and how we got there and how, you know, the, the, the real push in the 90s, I mean, the, the youth conference ministries, Acquire the Fire, who I used to intern for, ironically. And how indoctrinating many of those things were to this, like, culture mm-hmm. war that, you know, folks still to this day feel like they need to be fighting in. And it's, um, yeah. yeah. Well, even the Left Behind books, like, and that whole area, yes. and the Revelation stuff you're talking about and that Ed Times is so political and still so... Uh, I think at the forefront of people's mind when it comes to like climate change and war and Israel and all those things yeah. that are like literally deciding their fates, you know? Well, it's so funny to think back to even like recent history in which Jimmy Carter was the Christian guy, which just no longer exists as a, a as a like a dichotomy anymore that, mm-hmm. that it could be the Democrat uh, or like a blue state of like, oh yeah, that's yeah. like, God, like it used to be like sensitive you know, peace loving, like soft guys like Jimmy Carter. And then Reagan was like, I yeah. think saw an opening and was like, what if it was this instead? And <laughs> it's just never been the same ever since. Yeah, it's the it's the whole like narrative that a lot of conservative folks created about the bleeding heart liberals and, uh, you know, the wimpy Jesus stuff and their Jesus. And also it was a way for evangelicals to to demean, demoralize mainline Protestant people and, Catholic, and Catholics and to say that their faith was weak and their faith, they weren't really worshiping Jesus. And um, and so the evangelical subculture really was, I mean, I mean, created as a as a reaction to Brown v. Board of Education and school integration, you know, white families and white flight moving to the suburbs, starting Christian schools because they didn't want to integrate. Um, and then the culture war that basically was initiated through the civil rights movement is still going on uh, to this day. So like you said, like Jimmy Carter was like a fluke and they were like, no, get that guy out. He's weak Christian. Yeah. We need strong. Yeah. And it was the same thing they were saying about Pete Buttigieg, right? In this last elect- electoral thing, like, like his faith was not really real somehow because he was gay and married to a man um and the level to which people dismissed him in the christian world as as not being christian was was really enlightening to say hey we're not as far gone from this as we think we are 
Yeah, and truly going back to that time and and following the Reagan stuff, not to harp on it too much, but like Reagan was like pretty nominal about his faith. He talked about yeah. God in the same grandiose broadways that any president running talked about. That Trump about. does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like uh, seriously, yeah. it's the, you know, and that's the only other Republican president that's energized people to that same level was, you know, Reagan like in, and now Trump. Um, but yeah, that correlation is, is I think really prevalent. Like I was born during the Reagan era, so I don't really remember as, you know, Reagan, like George H. Bush the first was kind of like the president I remember as mm-hmm. a little kid, like I said, because of Desert Storm. Um, but yeah, so Reagan was very much in in that era and the, the, the war on crime, the war on poverty uh, that he perpetuated that, I mean, whew, we've got to start telling the truth about this stuff. Uh, because if yeah. we don't, uh, we're still going to be perpetuating really bad ideas from the 70s and the 80s that yeah. are still hurting and harming people. But we do it in the name of, I don't know, maybe we do it in the name of Jesus. Uh, to me, it's it's the Why same not? thing. Did you see that uh, amazing Onion headline this week uh-uh. about the, the camps? Uh, because it came out that uh, that in a lot of the... Im- immigrant camps at the border that they were giving a lot of the women forced hysterectomies. Oh yeah, I did hear about and that. And so the Onion headline was, and it's a it's a clip art of a lady praying, and it says, "Conservative evangelical asks God to give her strength to incorporate forced hysterectomies into belief system." Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, which was pretty <laughs> wild, right? <laughs> oh, that's. <laughs> Onion doesn't miss. I feel like I feel like they truly don't miss. God, with that oh. stuff. Well, let's let's Amen. catch it up a little bit to now and kind of your adult life, how your faith evolved. It sounded like you were on that path when you were a kid, and probably as a young adult, and then college, and then your adult life. How did your faith evolve to maybe what it is now, or the process that it's in now? Yeah, it's, it's been a it's been a long process. Like I said, several deconstruction cycles. Um, I pretty much. I became an adult, went to college for like a year, gave up on it because I was like, I really just want to pursue music. And so I quit community college and I pretty much started doing ministry internships. I, I interned for Acquire the Fire for a year um, down in Tyler, Texas, back back in 2003. Oh, yeah. um, lots of people have done that internship. I usually don't talk about it a ton uh, because, you know, there's. I feel like I've been in several cult-like environments in my life. <laughs> So once yeah, you're out, you're say, out. I was going to ask what that's like. Yeah. It's just like, mm, close the book. No, Clo- thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. I still have a number of friends uh, from there. and we, we don't even really talk about it anymore. It's funny. But um, yeah, I did that. I went to, um, I did several different Bible schools, like took courses um, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Actually, somebody who's just in the news recently, I actually went to their Bible college for the while. Uh, for a little while, Rick Joyner. I don't know if you saw that Newsweek article that just came out. Um, basically, he, as a pastor, was saying that God was calling, um, you know, basically conservatives to join militias to defend against left-wing radicals. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Interesting take, Rick. Yeah. Like, he really, really sad to me because I'm going. How given over have you you been? I used to go to your church. I used to tie to you. Give me my money back. <laughs> yes. And it specifically says the headline says Pastor Rick Joyner. God wants Christian veterans to lead good militias. So mm. just imagine. So, oh like, well, professionals. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like <laughs> people who know what they're doing. It's yeah. not untrained people no, no. the militia. He also clarified too, like, well, you know, don't join the racist ones, you know, just the non-racist ones. <laughs> but I'm oh, like, you're defending sweetheart. against Black Lives Matter protesters. <laughs> yeah, so 
what do you think is going to be the makeup of your militia, my exactly. friend? Exactly. Oh, like, man. How deluded have, do you Speaking have to of, be? are you guys going to the Antifa meeting tonight and bringing all your handguns and stuff? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, because my George Soros check bounced. And until he okay, sends me another one, I ain't two. going to no meeting. Yeah, but but okay, William, I'm did, up with you, did you get the email? The Bill Gates one is right on the way. If the source oh, one really? bounces, Gates has been. <laughs> uh, yeah. okay, I've been working right. on my tears for my crisis actor play that I've been working on. So can you guys give me some feedback later? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> on that. Okay, cool. It's good. You. We'll record a little a TikTok for you um, and use the word <laughs> xenophobia and racism <laughs> and Marxism like, and critical race theory. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah, uh-huh, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. White women, <laughs> right, cool. white women, let me talk to you for a moment. Wake up. <laughs> <Pick> up. Conspiracy <laughs> theorist. Oh, yes. <laughs> we need to do better. Black women keep saving us, and I'm tired of it. <laughs> we need uh, to save ourselves. White women are notoriously yeah, sure. shifty, and I stand by that <laughs> as always. And Did you say I, notoriously shifty? Yes. That's right. <laughs> I have I have had some recent dealings. I, I do limit the white women in my life. You have to be a I love white people. You have to be and I famously very self aware. <laughs> oh good No, that's I think that's probably a good call. It's yeah, I have to yes. because I've just had so many terrible experiences through the years and so but recently some old ones tried to creep back up and I just was like, Jesus, this is why these people are not in my life. I can't, you know, mm-hmm. do the tears. I can't do the breakdowns. Every time you talk about a problem you're having, they center themselves. I was like, yep. no, can't, Lord, not anymore. They're so scared all the time. Yeah. Was it are. about beauty products that don't have parabens in them? <laughs> what is that? Oh, no, just any multi-level marketing uh, oh. <laughs> situation. <laughs> Hey, girly, reaching out. I know I bullied you in high school, but I'd love to share my essential oils. It really helps. You know, it's going to protect you from COVID. That's so, I've heard. so I've heard. So I've heard that. Uh, frequently, actually. Um, but to answer your question, my, my evolution has really been about pursuing music, trying to be as honest as I can as a songwriter, and getting better at that through the years mm-hmm. and um and really just about genuine community like i feel like i came up with like a crew of artists and writers and a lot of us you know kind of got put on the worship scene around the same time like um like united pursuit um a lot of the ihop folks i i spent two years in kansas city on staff at ihop so I used to sing for misty edwards <laughs> and uh, I learned from her um, right around the same time as Corey Asbury. Like Corey Asbury, like I used to sing with him back in 2006, seven. <laughs> like, um, and then I'm the one that introduced him to the Bethel folks and got him that whole thing. Um, and and so we all just kind of came up together. Stephanie Gretzinger and everyone, every just all of us. I I've known Johnny and Melissa Helser back when I, from when I was in Charlotte. They used to go to Rick Joyner's church. Like that's how I knew them. <laughs> like um and John Mark McMillan used to go to the, be the youth pastor at that church. And so I feel like there's just this whole large community of, of Christian musicians that are kind of have these platforms now. But truth be told, we were all like just young bucks just try, trying to lead worship and write mm-hmm. songs. And um, I always tell people, the person that really put me on um, in a major way, I learned from a lot of people. A lot of people gave me insight, influence. But I would say Kim Walker uh, was a good friend who who really believed in me as a artist and a writer. And she really opened doors for me 
to lead worship, to uh, move to Bethel and, and help start the Bethel music label. Like that was pretty much all, all Kim Walker, a white woman. Mm. So I'm always, she's right. a good one. I love her. I keep her around. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Dunk, yeah. You guys <laughs> Allie, Score you for one, that one for the team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. No, no, thanks. I'm no, no team. I don't want to be on yes. it. <laughs> Sign me up, coach. Oh God. I I knew she was a good one, and I I, may, I don't know if I should. I'm going to tell the story, and I hope she doesn't get mad at me telling the story. But uh, I remember she invited me to come, like, spend some holiday with her and her family. She was just so gracious and generous with me. And I was on the West Coast, and I went up to Oregon with her, and I um, met her dad, who they had been. Uh, her parents had been divorced for a while. I think they were estranged. Her dad comes through, and her dad just kind of started making like a lot of like racial jokes at me um, and that were really inappropriate. And the level to which I watched her like call out her dad and say, Hey, that's stop. That's wrong. Dad, what are you saying to him? Like mm. that, that made me feel safe. And that actually made me know that I could trust her because you're not just going to put me in this situation where it's like, Oh, just Chuck, he's just being funny. Like this or whatever, you know, which you'd be surprised how often that happens. And so um, yeah, that gave me a lot of trust for her. And I said, um, yeah. And so, I look up to her so much and she's she's opened so many doors for me to literally do everything that I've done and so I'm thankful oh, to her. Shout out to Kim. Kim, I hope you listen. You yeah, I should today. I should send it to her. <laughs> Kim, your yeah. ally cookies are in the mail, freshly baked <laughs> for you to do. <laughs> she she's such a quiet one too. She's very quiet about it. she's not like big on social media in that way, yeah. you know, but she's one of the most loyal, fiercely protective people of, of mm-hmm. the people that she loves. If she loves mm-hmm. you, like she's mama bear. And uh, oh, what a gift. I've always appreciate it. Um that so side of her. From the from the class of musicians and, and sort of worship leaders that you came up with is it I could imagine what your goals were then that were probably shared with them. What do you feel like they are now? That do you feel do you feel hmm. set apart from them in some way, even genre wise or in terms of what you're trying to accomplish? That is a really great question. To be honest, I think I feel a bit in the worship wilderness right now, mainly because I think the model, so to speak, the corporate worship model, because it's a model at this point. And I think it's been exacerbated. Um, I think we've hit this crisis of language. We've regurgitated so much of the same language um, that it's almost kind of meaningless in some level because it's like, it's like you listen to these songs now and each line is a hook from another song that you've heard. Just all kind of pieced together slightly new with similar chord progression, but maybe a slightly different tempo. <laughs> it's like we've kind of just been repackaging and, and, I, and I've been a part of that. I'm not, that's not a criticism from without. That's a criticism from within. Um, we definitely found a formula. It worked. It sold records. It you know got people singing them in their churches. And now I think the question is, uh, what does worship look like? Um, that incorporates justice, that is an outflow of justice, rather than worship that is abstracted to be about a God somewhere else and a worship of a God somewhere else, rather than a, a real worship of a God who lives on the inside of other people, including my enemies and the and and the blacks <laughs> and the Mexicans and the gays and the you know like uh, we I think we've we have got to stop looking upward and begin to look horizontally at people and really begin to sing songs that are indicative of people and who God is in, in people. And, but I, I totally put myself in the wilderness camp because I don't, I mean, I've written a song or two or three maybe that kind of uh, speaks to that, like my song will all be free. But I, there's something 
I still feel like on in mass that's missing right now. And I don't exactly know how to articulate it fully. Um, especially because I think some of the dynamics that makes worship worship are the things that we, we honestly maybe should be moving on from. So then how do we reframe worship in a way that is congregational that people can sing along to, but doesn't paint the focus on a God uh, outside of yourself somewhere else, Mm -hmm. but rather paints the focus on the God that's at work in the world. Um, as, as second Corinthians says, Christ reconciling the world unto himself by not counting men's trespasses against them. Like, I don't think we have that real word of reconciliation yet. Um, in that word of justice that, that is going to speak to the moment that we're in. So I think a lot of the doubling down in the Christian world, especially on the issue of racism and white supremacy. And I think it really is just folks are scared and they don't know. It's easy to do what you've always known and to repeat the songs you've always sang and to, uh, you know, go back to the old wells that felt like, you know, it's it's like I remember in, in the church world, usually I usually hear this singing up, uh, up to elections where I remember a number of notable preachers kept preaching about, you know, we got to hold fast to truth. You know, the world is changing, but, you know, Jesus doesn't change. And let's just let's just gather together and and, and hold to our convictions. <laughs> and I'm going like, but what about change? Is there is the spirit not moving and breathing in a new way now? You'll say that when it's not election season, right? Mm-hmm. God's doing a new thing. But then when it's time for you want people to vote a certain way or you, you're afraid of the world, it's like, we got to hold fast. The Bible's clear. And, you know, there's this, this real doubling down, I think, that, that happens where when folks get afraid, they get into their isolated bubbles and church bubbles. And we sing those same songs, the same types of songs. And um, being a person of color in the worship music industry, man, that has been a trip because one of the biggest things I've realized, and I know this is going to come across as an accusation to some, but I really learned early on that um, these cultures not only are insulative, white people really just want to hear worship music from other white people. Mm-hmm. They want somebody that looks like them, <laughs> that's real pretty, mm-hmm. <laughs> and sings real pretty, and you know has the right yeah. belief system that can be like, marketed back to them. Um, and that was a lot of my uphill battle in that world as honestly at the time, one of the only black worship leaders on a major stage in like the the worship world um, was that type of resistance that I always faced. That no matter how good I sang, no matter how well my song was written, you know, I just wasn't white enough. <laughs> and, mm. and the audience really, I just learned that over time, like, oh, that some of the resistance I'm feeling is very much this. And then I was definitely celebrated in other ways too. I mean, I, every, almost every church I went to, they would tell me, oh, you're the first black person we've had lead worship here. <laughs> like that was common <laughs> all over the world. And I'm going, oh, you just, oh. Thank you. Thank, thanks. <laughs> I, I guess you, you're cool, right? <laughs> um, I know. And, and I so, love how that's so framed as like, where have you been? We've been waiting yeah. for you. Hooray. Yeah. yeah. Like, why? <laughs> Thanks what for happened? finally showing I wonder up. who was in charge of all the decisions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's what you're describing. I, um, I, and tell me if I'm getting this right too, but it, I, in looking back at like the worship music that I grew up with, that was written, written by white people, sang by white people, had a very white supremacist vibe in that it was about conservative values of like retaining a tradition, 
saying that the tradition was ancient, even though it's really ahistorical, it was very recent and yeah. new, and they had redesigned it for this. And it was to like comfort the comfortable. And if you haven't had any real, like, <laughs> you know, structural resistance in your life, you want things to basically continue the same. So you're just going to focus on, like, purifying yourself and thinking about the afterlife mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, what's going to come next because there isn't that much otherwise, like, as a culture that you have to resist against or, like you said, like, fight for justice for, you know? Yeah. And so that. Yeah, that turns up when you just read the same psalm songs over and over and over. Oh, don't incorporate over the same corporations. <laughs> over, yeah, and over, and I can just disregard the needs of so many. It, you know that passage in Amos always comes back to me, and it, especially in these last few years of I, where God's just like, I don't want your songs. <laughs> I want justice, and um, there's something about that indictment from the heart of God that I, I. I think we're we're not wrestling with in a, in a real way, um, and we're just so comfortable feeling the the tingles, the worship tingles in our own bubbles, and feeling good about ourselves. And Jesus is my pep talk because I'm afraid of the world, so I you know I get my little fix in, and He makes me feel good, and you know doesn't ruffle my feathers, and you know maybe cause me to you know die to myself in certain ways, but definitely not in actual tangible ways that look like loving the poor. <laughs> Yeah. You know, um, and until we can, you know, move beyond that, uh, I don't know. I think we're going to stay stuck in this this repeating cycle. I mean, it reminds me of that Brene Brown quote of like, my healing is your healing connected to the healing of the rest of the world. And it's very hard, I think, to capture that. And the first song that did come to mind when you started to talk about this idea and the difference between a horizontal versus a vertical songwriting was we'll all be free which i i go to a church mm. that's been fortunate enough to put that in the into the rotation but yeah that's a really oh, nice that's a really tough thing to embody most of the time because i think weirdly there's this there's this quote i think about about songwriting from a nick hornby book called songbook and he says, sometimes when songs deal with things that are not the broadest emotions possible, like when a song isn't a love song of like, I'm in love with this person, it feels great, or like I'm heartbroken, like the most broad things, when when things do concern themselves with any sense of topicality or currency of the day or justice issues, it, it in a lot of undiscerning listeners, it creates the question, well, why is this a song? Why isn't this an essay instead or a long <laughs> read that I'm reading from the Atlantic or something? Yeah. And so you kind of have to retrain generations of, in this case, churchgoers or worshipers to be able to process those things after X amount of decades of not having to do so. Yeah, it's basically about mm-hmm. muscles that have been atrophied. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... You know, some use the word apostate. That there's, and I think that's kind of where that word is coming from. It's it's a type of atrophy, atrophy that we have not exercised these muscles of justice. Because um, God's foundation, as the scripture says, is built on righteousness and justice. Those are the foundations of God's throne, and we can't even have the conversation unless there is um, a real centering of righteousness and justice and God's heart for. Uh, as he says himself, the poor. <laughs> Blessed are the poor, the weak, the lonely, 
God puts the lonely into families. Like until we're centering the marginalized, I don't think we can even begin to have a real conversation about what God's heart is. <sighs> and that bums me out, to be perfectly honest. And I say that as a conviction for myself. Like it's, it's a, it's a constant awareness how I keep centering myself how I keep, how my ego keeps coming to the surface, especially when you've done Christian music. Like, I mean, come on, I have an ego. <laughs> you don't pursue Christian music and not have an ego. <laughs> I have an ego. Yes. <laughs> I want it to be the star of the show, leading the masses in worship. <laughs> and then Jesus would come back. <laughs> when you rolled up your sleeves, you were putting on the Ritz, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, very much. Very much, you know, there's, and there's an element of showmanship that has to go into that, you know, world to entertain people. Cause literally if you don't, then people don't pay attention cause you're boring. People um, complain. <laughs> yeah, they will. And it's like, don't put that person on stage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I don't even know where we're at, but I just. Oh, just talking about the inherent contradiction of that worship stuff. But I feel like that perspective yeah. is so valuable. I feel like so much, so many churches would be better set up for. 2020 if that was more embedded into the dna of their culture and i'm grateful for the people that do reflect that in my life or, or even yeah. the faith infrastructures that do reflect that in my life that um so i don't feel complicit in a bad system and i do feel a little yeah. bit better equipped for making good choices in life and mm. just having a heart for those sort of things because because music matters art matters all that stuff matters even if it feels like distraction or amusement it it all seeps in and it all does make a difference to the way we think about the world around us the way we think about people around us and the way that we live so so you're fighting the good fight and even if you're not perfect you're still trying and that's all that matters and 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 we'll all be free as a bop so come on hey it is <laughs> a bop isn't it? <laughs> it yes. is a bop i i'm proud of that album and that, yeah. and that song uh, well, thanks for sharing your story, William. We really appreciate it. That was that was really lovely to hear that perspective. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Good Christian Fun. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, imagine a world, if you will, where you have an extra hour in your day. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to go for a run? Are you going to take a nap? Are you going to read a book? Are you, hey, you know... Listeners of this show, are you going to pray? Are you going to perhaps read not only a book, but maybe the good book? Well, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what it is that's important to you and to make that a priority. And guess what can help you do that? Therapy. Therapy can help you find what matters to you. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. And I can attest to this personally. I've been in therapy for 11 years now and it has helped me tremendously to figure out my priorities, to figure out where my time is going and why and how to focus on the things I need to focus on and shy away from the things that I actually don't care about but I just kind of get in autopilot and I'm not feeling and dealing and tuning into my body in real time. Therapy helps with all of that. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. 
Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GoodChristianFun today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash GoodChristianFun. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Good Christian Fun. It's time once again for the hunt for the worst Christian song of all time. The worst! Do you recognize that song at all, William, at the end? Yabba-dabba-loo-yah. Cartoons by Mr. Chris Rice. Mr. Chris Rice. I, I want to know I want to know your exposure and your history with contemporary Christian music, gospel music, all that stuff. Obviously, you know your worship music because yeah, you helped I mean, shape it in our <laughs> lifetime. But, but what about you. all the rest? You know, I did, like I said, I mentioned earlier, my family, we had a mix of influences. So I got some very light Christian contemporary influences. Uh, my dad used to love to listen to Focus on the Family on the radio. So mm. all those like Adventures in Odyssey, McGee and me, like we used to listen to those radio tapes. <laughs> My dad mm-hmm. would actually buy them sometimes and have them sent to us. And uh, we listen to those. And then through that, you know, you're hearing some of those, you know, Christian artists. But truthfully, I just grew up listening to gospel music. I didn't listen to Christian contemporary anything till I was in my early 20s. Yeah. So for me, it was wow. black gospel. That was pretty much it. I knew of DC Talk. I think I'd heard Jesus Freak. That was it. Like, other than that, there was no Delirious. There was no um, Hillsong. There was no, like, Darlene Check Hillsong, you know, back in the 90s. There was no Maranatha, no Vineyard at all. No Newsboys. No No Newsboys. I had had to get a crash course when I was about 19 or so. I started going to a, a white charismatic church and led worship there. And and so they were playing like Audio Adrenaline, Delirious. Like I had to I had to learn all these songs that everyone had already been listening to. Out even out of Eden, and like. And it's one of those things. There's TV shows like this, and there's movies like this where if you didn't listen to it or watch it at a certain age, past a certain age, it will not connect. I found that to be true of certain yes pieces of media. Yeah, Amy Grant just doesn't connect with me. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> It's, nothing Ooh. about it draws me no, in. No, I was with you. Caroline, she's, he's throwing stones at the queen. How shall we defend the throne? <laughs> Honestly, though, like I, I think I would love Amy Grant if she didn't even make music. I think that's really how I feel about her. It's just like I like her as a person. The, oh. the music is fully incidental for Caroline. It's just yes. vibes. It's, oh. it's just an accessory, yeah, to, to hit what I get from her. <laughs> oh, do you, you friends with her? <laughs> Not yet. Oh, yeah, okay. No okay. No. Good. I heard she's great. I know people that know her. They love her. Everyone says she's really? an amazing human being. Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. So yeah. one day, about her. I believe it. I'm prophesying it. You're Hashtag Amy Grantifa is how we refer to her on the show. <laughs> and, uh, we'll see her at the next meeting. I'm Ooh. sure. Talk about somebody though who caught Christian hell though. I mean, her. 
Ooh, Jennifer Knapp. Ooh, like some of these women have just gone. They have been torn asunder through it the Christian machine. It seems so tame now too. Of like w- the things that they did to even merit oh my such God. like uprear. You know. Yeah. 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 The the one of the uh, latest stories to come out with this. A few listeners brought this to our attention, but Michael Passons Passions from Avalon was kicked out of the group for being openly gay. And oh, no. he shared his story with another former member of the group on her podcast, Melissa Green. And oh uh, so that's definitely worth listening to mm. and checking out. But yeah, definitely that's takes so a listen of Testify to Love. Uh, <laughs> hey, I mean, how many other people, though, are in these bands that are secretly gay? Uh, at least two that I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless you. Oh, Michael bless you. T- <laughs> oh, well, oh, William's coughing. Oh, he's coughing up the store. <clears throat> oh, it's contagious over Zoom. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, maybe one day we'll know or we'll find out. I don't know somehow. who. I have no clue. <laughs> you might have to edit this, that out. Play this podcast <laughs> backward and maybe you'll find out. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? We're, we're going to talk about uh, different musicians today. We're talking about, this is a game called The Hunt for the Worst Christian Song of All Time. William, we're on the hunt for the worst song. We got to find it. We're looking through all the treasure troves of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and aughts to see where it may be. And what we do is we listen to two songs, and then we have to decide which of these is better, or if you want to be negative about it, which of these is worse. So uh, today it is a, a battle of the titans. It is Michael W. Smith versus For Him. <laughs> and the Michael Verse W. Who? For, for him. him. For Him is a quartet of dads who are a vocal band uh, in Christian music. And uh, so this is from 1986 and 1992, respectively. The first song is from... Michael W. Smith. I'm going to put the lyrics for you guys in the chat window if you want to refer to them. The first song up for us is a song called Rocket Town. I really like this uh, (laughs) synth pattern, though, actually. Yeah, so do I. Rocket Town from the album The Big Picture in 1986. I love it. Here's here's where the story picks up though. What he was all about He walked a different pace So out of place in They made a fool of him They teased him when he speak But when they knocked him down He turned the other cheek He told me I could find a life outside of Hang around by the streetlight In the heart of the nightlight
quite a tale so far. You know, I didn't hate that chorus. <laughs> Rocket Town. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is it Houston? <laughs> no, it's in Nashville, actually. Oh. oh. I know Rocket Town. This Friday is ladies' night at Rocket Town. <laughs> Two for one special. Girls get in for free. All right. That's Rocket Town by Mr. Michael W. Smith. Perhaps channeling a, an early period Billy Joel, at least vocally. Some a lot sting of that. stuff going on. Yes. It sounds like CCM's answer to Copacabana. <laughs> <laughs> it was in Rocket in Rocket Town, yeah. So Rocket Town a is a night. it's a real place, William. That's like a skate park slash concert venue that he owns and in operates in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, so he was literally just like promoting one of his businesses. <laughs> yeah, this song. is essentially uh, he was a radio spreading ad. the word. Uh, <laughs> I think this is before it existed, and then oh, it was okay. named after the song. But oh, okay. I, yes. Oh, this was the origin story, Kevin. I totally forgot that that place was called Rocket Town. Yeah, that's um, where people do a half pipe. Woo! I still would like to spend some time there. <laughs> yes. Yes, when things reopen, that's a f- literally the first place I'm going to go. Booking a flight to Rocket Town for sure. Yeah. So I do I, love in, the, in this song, if Rocket Play- Town is just a mythical anywhere place where Jesus comes to uh, to make a few changes around That's here. what kind of confused me about it. Like the first verse was actually kind of great, like the, <laughs> the verses. And then it got into that like... It, it, it just shifted into overtly Christian, right? I don't even mm-hmm. mind the whole thing about a stranger walking in town. But then it, it, part of it kind of fell into this cliche uh, of like, Jesus came and they rejected him. <laughs> you know, like, it felt mm-hmm. like it had that obvious ploy. But then but the chorus actually got great. I actually liked the chorus. Um, and yeah. I don't know. This song is – I feel complex about it because I don't know if this is the worst Christian song. I mean, as somebody that used to have to hold worship auditions, you know, for a megachurch – I have seen worse Christian <laughs> songs. Stuff. I'm talking about like the the voice idol, American Idol, but worse because <laughs> oh man, because is, they would they would sing their original music when they auditioned. Is what you're saying? S- sometimes, uh, sometimes original music. Sometimes, you know, they're just doing basic like Chris Tomlin songs. And whoo, good. Ooh. Grief. Okay, 
Yeah, but you know, um, worship's more do or die in that way than pop music. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say that this is a bad song, but it could be controversial. You know, hmm. why is it controversial, Carol? Because he made such a, uh, yeah, like a big choice to call this nowhere anywhere Rocket Town, <laughs> and uh, I guess to, is that supposed to like inspire some excitement or make you think of? Going to the stars, going to heaven one day, perhaps. Is Rocket Town Michael W. Smith's Margaritaville? (laughs) Yes. Very much. Literally, that he opened up a franchise of the same name. He actually did open up Margaritaville. (laughs) You know, I give that guy so much credit for being able to, uh, you know, take a song like this and making it into a profitable business. Absolutely. Yeah. So you got to give place. him props at least for that. Yes. Not not if everyone can do that. I get to visit that. Chromatica in five years and ride the Chroma coaster, then <laughs> Chroma that's coaster. a waste of time for Lady Gaga. <laughs> Springsteen, I'm still uh, waiting for Jungle Land to be opened ooh. up. The amusement park of my, <laughs> oh my dreams. My gosh, Kevin would move in. He'd become the executive director. Oh, good grief, of Jungle Land. But yeah, you're right. The the song also does tip your hand pretty quickly on what he thinks about this stranger, you know, and, and where his stance is on it. Yeah, I didn't know if he was in love with the stranger or if it was Jesus at first. And I was like, oh, he means Jesus. I didn't know if he yeah, had a crush on this romance. guy. Yeah, romance. You have to imagine some people did have a crush on Jesus in that <laughs> position. And that they were like, I shouldn't, but the guy's well, got charisma. They, they did say, you know, the Bible supposedly says, you know, that we wouldn't desire him. That's the prophecy from Isaiah. So, they, you know, some people believe that he wasn't good looking. Uh which but people it. are attracted to power, right? And confidence. I cannot worship an ugly. True. If this is true, this <laughs> destroys my faith system. I need a Jim Caviezel Jesus and only a Jim Caviezel. Mm, give me those icy blue eyes. Or in 2020, maybe like an Oscar Isaac Jesus. I could work with that mm. for sure. Oh Caroline gosh. just melted on the Zoom call. <laughs> okay, so that is Rocket Catch Town. Catch me praying on my knees every day. How I'm about doing that? Nothing, nothing less than Michael B. Jordan Jesus. Oh, <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, it's yes, too spicy. Much, much to discuss. Uh, okay. that, that's Rocket nice Town by Michael W. Smith. I know we could do this all day. We could name Hot Jesus alts for the rest of our life if we wanted to, but we have to go to the next for seven Jesus. <laughs> oh my gosh, Adam Driver, uh, Holy Spirit. <laughs> In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Me. (laughs) Or no, the Father, the Me, and the Holy Spirit. Is that good, Adam Driver, Caroline? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Every day I wake up and I pray for you. That's him. Uh, (laughs) uh, The next song is a song that's also the name of a Miley Cyrus song. That's also the name of a song and album by Bruce Springsteen. But it's also the name of a song by For Him. And this song is called Wrecking Ball. So let's hear what the metaphor is here. Construction crews, principalities, we've been overrun. 
wrong, William. I think we've heard enough. <laughs> uh, oh, that is yeah. that is Wrecking Ball by For Him, uh, a band that Caroline did sc- send a picture of in the chat. Yeah, I saw they, they're a good-looking bunch. Um, why do why do like old Christian men go into this glasses, pointy hair look? You know, like I think it's supposed to be like really, you know, like intense masculine. You mean I just like see it so often? Like college professor alfalfa style, but like yeah. postmodern alfalfa, maybe yeah. with the with the glasses with clear frames basically around it. Yes, I understand. Yeah, but they want to look really hard. Yeah. Hmm. Um, my other thought I have is that you don't get to hear smithereens in songs enough. Not nope. nearly enough. Nope. <laughs> nope. I mean, when we teach songwriting, that's one of the things we tell you to stay away from. <laughs> Words like that. <laughs> smithereens. Yeah. But there's so yeah. many things that rhyme with it. Can of beans, eating greens, peachy keens. The old canteen. You're really good at this, guys. You should be songwriters. Hey, hey. Okay, maybe we are. Maybe All we right. are. The you invited me. The quickness in which you responded to that. I mean, I can't get over the obvious sexual tension in this song. Um, I'm sorry. I don't know which if that's one? just where my mind went. Uh, uh, this one, for him. There's a, which, There seems to be some sexual gay sexual tension. tension. Uh, this chorus... Ooh. Oh, I, I guess I see that. If if you see that, William, may, Yo, maybe I, I could uh, entertain set, the notion that I'll you ride me your up wrecking for this. ball. Yes, <laughs> I'll be your Joshua. Sw- I just imagine somebody in like a sex swing, and like I'll be oh, your wrecking ball. Like that's literally what I pictured. I was like, good God, why? That's why I had that look. I had that look. <laughs> yeah, you- if Ken, if Caroline said this in a Kim Cattrall voice, it would fully make sense. Swing back and let yeah, me I'll fly. I'll be your wrecking ball. I'll ride your wrecking ball. Oh or like God. imagine the Magic Mike XXL scene where Joe Mantelliano yes. puts the young woman into the sex swing for his dance. It feels routine. like there's about to be another version that's talking about like God's muscles and maybe he gets a little exactly. too hot and he's got to take the shirt off and you know get go to town on some walls <laughs> go I, to town so here we have the smashing of the smithereens yes. the barriers that hit your face again they're in a private sex dungeon then to watch your children to watch your children in surprise fall to their knees open their eyes when you <laughs> it's like the children walked into the sex dungeon and saw <laughs> Saw dad getting a daddy. Oof. Well, kids that's, gotta learn sometime. I guess that's the the message in a way. And and William, clearly. you were talking about vertical and horizontal songwriting, <laughs> and this is a song in which the the uh, walls going up like towers start from a vertical place, and yeah. the song and the wrecking ball that those men are gonna ride becomes Woo. horizontal. Mm. God wants us to get horizontal, and that's. And to, and to lay it all down. I'm going to lay it all out. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. And write oh it. Oh, my God. Just yeah. write it all the way home. Uh, 
Uh, okay, so the metaphor is about people telling you not to love God or know God, I guess. Building walls. And then God just... I see this hurting of the world. I know it's simple, but it's also hurting my brain. No, it is hurting my brain. <laughs> I think any time a verse starts with, I see the construction crews principalities. <laughs> I was like, how did you get from construction crews to principalities? Mixing yeah. his metaphors a little bit. Yeah. Construction oh. crews, zoning laws, regulations by big government. <laughs> Permits. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. I think it's like, um, I think maybe, oh, no, I'm confused too. Send your demolition down from the sky. These walls have got to fall. I'll be your Joshua. Swing me back. Oh, you know what it is? Here's what it is. It's the world Berlin. has created, what's that? Uh, Berlin. Berlin. It's Berlin, <laughs> y'all. It's not 9-11. I hope not. It's too soon. We haven't forgotten oh yet. It's 9/11. not. 9-11. I, I hope it's not. Word, I was. I was about you brought it up. And I didn't want to. She said uh, Berlin. You said 9-11. I'm like, wait, which, which William, what era what are we in? inappropriate historical moment do you have to bring up? <laughs> I think, here's what it is. The world has Trump's run amok wall. with sin. They put up all these walls of sin. The walls uh, are okay. sin. And yeah. so the, the writer, the singer of the song, protagonist is saying to God, hey, I'm going to break it down. Use me. I'll ride your wrecking ball. God, you're going to do what you're going to do, but I'm going to help. I'll be your wrecking ball. I'll be your Joshua. I'll be your Joshua. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so imagine okay. these four men, a la Miley Cyrus, all crammed on one wrecking <laughs> ball, holding on for dear life. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> That's like probably the worst place to be on a wrecking ball situation. I think so. Except maybe the wall yourself. So get off of there. <laughs> I just... When I heard this song, all I imagined was, I remember seeing these guys, I never listened to them, but I remember seeing their albums in like the Christian bookstores, like Sign of the Fish or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, what's the other one, Lifeway or whatever. And again, it just reminds me of this whole era of music in which if you love Creed, then listen to for him. <laughs> you, you know, also like, if you're, yeah, you, absolutely. You know, and it was like these were the songs that parents were wanting to give their children as alternatives. Like, but really, it was about this really dark worldview <laughs> about everyone's going to hell, the the world's in a terrible place, and and we've got the light, so we've got to bring it for everybody. And well, to me, the song just kind of reeks of that whole era of just well, totally. triumphalism, and you know. We've we've got the all the answers. Moral to the majority. World. Yep. Yeah. It's so funny too because the actual I think impetus behind some of these ideas is if, if you believe in original sin or if you believe yeah. in a fallen world, it's about okay, untangling what has been made crooked and healing and joining together and mending creation and tending to it and being a good steward of all this stuff. But the way it's expressed in the song is you have to destroy the world. Like literally it is a metaphor of destruction. You have to knock stuff down. No, no prisoners taken, no holds barred. Just let it rip. Yes. Uh Yes, exactly. Salt the earth. So, and for some reason, your children are going to be surprised as well. Uh, Just as a a bonus. (laughs) Well, it was a prophecy because that's what they voted for in Trump and their children were surprised. 
Their and children their were walls. surprised. Okay, he just brought out a lighter for that. Show. Wow. wow. <laughs> oh, scorched earth take from Mr. William Matthews. Yeah. Well, friends, I think it's time to vote. Which is the worst song, Rocket Town or Wrecking Ball? Rocket or Wrecking? Are we voting, or is just the, the people listening? No, it's going to be us. We decide. We're now, the electoral college. Now, the, 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 <laughs> right. representing the listeners. Yes. Uh-huh. And Caroline and I's votes count as uh, you know five each. And five William, you get yeah. two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and that, right. that makes as much sense as our electoral college. Thank you. I appreciate Where California the has two senators for forty million people, and yep. like thirty other states have, you know, whatever sixty senators for their people. Uh, Caroline, what do you think? Spitting facts. Okay. Um, What's the? Okay, I think that um, Rocket Town (laughs) makes me feel amazing, and like I really feel like it accomplished with me what I needed it to. Mm. Uh, Very bewildering in some cases, but also it just sounds like a good place to be. Um, And I like that uh, you know Rocket Town isn't the problem. Rocket Town is good. But Jesus will still come to Rock. He'll meet you at Rocket Town. Rocket Town, Town is know? whatever you want it to be, man. Yeah. It's a state of mind. <laughs> I like that I can have both. I can have my cake and eat it. I can spend time at Rocket Town. I can also meet Jesus there. That seems nice. Mm. Um, Wrecking Ball, I think, is worse. Uh, it is, yeah, it's, it's violent. It is just violence. And it's literally violence. And I don't stand for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Caroline. William, what say you? I, I agree with Caroline. Wrecking Ball. Um, does not live up to the awesome Miley Cyrus song entitled mm-hmm. Wrecking Ball, where she was naked on it. I would much prefer that as a Christian that was <laughs> than, <laughs> than for him's version of Wrecking Ball. Sorry for him if you're listening. Sorry I, I made an analogy to gay sex. I'm so sorry if that offends yeah, you. But... Look at this photo I sent. <clears throat> Apologize to them. Yes. <laughs> hey, hey for him. And listeners, Photoshop these four men on the on the ball alongside you and your dad. Boys, you and your dad cuts are. I apologize to all of them. No, and forgive you. (laughs) I forgive you you. too. Back to writing my (laughs) review for Plugged In Magazine. (laughs) (laughs) I I will join. I will make this a landslide victory for Wrecking Ball. Oh my goodness gracious! Yeah, Rocket Town is malleable. It is an invitation to imagination. It can be about you know what? Maybe it's about falling in love. Maybe it's about a carpenter who could do some funny tricks and had some crazy ideas about the society that we live in. Uh, it's Wrecking Ball. A, is, yes. It's also a shout out to the enduring legacy and power of Michael W. Smith as a songwriter. That even when like some of his lyrics are a bit cheesy, like, you know, when you're dating it back all those years, you're still like, he's still new. He was a good songwriter. Like, yes. Th- I'm just looking mm-hmm. at the songwriting quality, like as a writer and I'm going, no, Rocket Town actually like mostly holds up. <laughs> <laughs> It does. Uh, Wrecking Words, Ball I'm sure does you not. Didn't plan on saying tonight. <laughs> no, I did. His mind. His no, mind. No, no, no. He's such a His sweet mind. man, though. He's a su- he actually is a sweet man, and I've met him. He's he's nice. Oh, but it's like, lovely. He no, he's an actual. He's a good songwriter. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. sure he has some. Ba- I have bad songs. Everybody has bad songs. But like Michael W. Smith. Hey, knows I have bad songs. Write. We all have bad songs. <laughs> I have bad songs. Even Caroline has bad songs. Caroline, can you just for my that. amusement and pleasure do uh, an impression of Michael W. Smith singing Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball? <laughs> <laughs> I came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh boy! Well, you know what? <laughs> his voice. His yeah, it's it's incredible. It endures. His right. his voice endures forever. <laughs> uh, shout out to all of our Patreon subscribers for nominating both those songs. Our elder board on patreon.com slash good Christian fun. And we're gonna put this poll up on at Christian Fun Pod and you can vote for whether you think Rocket Town or Wrecking Ball is the worst song. So we encourage you all today and this November, get out there and Pokemon go to the polls. <laughs> and Corn Pop was a bad dude. It me. That's of course Hillary Clinton saying Pokemon go to the polls from four years ago. Joe Biden saying <laughs> Corn Pop was a bad dude. I saw dude. someone mention that you need to update that with Joe Biden playing Despacito. <laughs> That's just us playing Despacito, though. He's not like, huh? Does he cue it up or anything? Yeah, he does I cue it up. It. He says it like a phrase. <laughs> he says, moi bien, or whatever. Something <laughs> equally sensitive. I love the horn section. <laughs> it, it looks so like bad on the surface, but then when you realize the guy from Despacito was hosting, and so Joe exactly. cued it up like in response to him, like kind of. I was like, that makes a whole lot more sense, because everyone's isolating it as like, He's pandering to the Hispanic vote. <laughs> and I'm yes, like, exactly. I think yeah. he's making was like, a contextual joke for in somebody context, in the room. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost as if Twitter.com flattens context in a completely unnatural way that's going to yeah. destroy democracy. Then, yeah. Stop saying stuff like that what? on this show. Sorry. It's too much. Uh, okay, it is too much. So we gotta we gotta wrap it up. We're we're dimming the lights. We're lighting the candles in here, Matthew. Williams, Williams, Matthew, Matthew, Williams, Matthews, Williams, See? Matthews. See? I know, I did it. I was. It's because I was looking at the display name and I got messed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh boy, we're dimming the you lights. My, you always see my last name before my first name. Why is that? I know, and that's white supremacy. And I <laughs> right now. And I'll I'll be the first. That's, I'm being funny. I take responsibility. <laughs> uh, we're not yeah. here to promote ourselves or our projects. We're here to lift them up to the Lord mm. as a loving and humble sacrifice. And so we start, as per usual, with Miss Caroline Ely. What's up, Rocket Town? You can lift me up at Caroline's Farts. We're Rocket Town every day and night. Only rockets, only fun. And uh, today I'm going to lift up an Instagram that I enjoy called Fat Art History. Um, if you're an art lover like me, but you don't always see different sizes of bodies, this person just curates fat bodies in art, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and I just really enjoy it. It's very encouraging. Lovely. Thank you, Caroline. And then we'll turn it to William Matthews. So you can find me at William Matthews X on Instagram or at William Matt 2 ts 22 mm. on Twitter where I talk that shit and post those photos. <laughs> Verified, baby. <laughs> Got the blue checks and all. And um, excited and to matters. announce my new documentary entitled We Don't Give Up. Comes out Monday, September 22nd. You can find it at theliturgist.com backslash Arctic. And uh, we go to the Arctic Refuge and talk to some indigenous folks about oil drilling and climate change. So... It's a real fun adventure with myself, Michael Gunger, Jamie Lee Finch, and Science Mike. So check that out. Hey, beautiful. What was the impetus for making that? Why, why did you decide on that as a topic for a documentary? Because the Arctic is being drilled in or being leased to be drilled in by oil companies. And if they start drilling, it's going to disturb the natural habitat. 
the porcupine caribou who live there and the Gwich'in who are an indigenous tribe nearby. They have been living off of the land for thousands of years. And if the herd goes, their primary food source goes. So it's a time sensitive mm. film because unless we have a change in election this November, unless Joe Biden wins, um, these lands are going to be sold to oil companies and we're pretty much going to wipe out one of the last indigenous tribes in northern Alaska. Oh, man. Well, everyone check out that film. It's uh, urgent. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you can lift us up. Oh, I got to lift up my own stuff. Why am I skipping to that? I just got so urgent what? that I Never skipped skip to the it, end of the Kevin. show. Come on, let's hear it. <laughs> What's going on? Thank you, William. You can lift me up at Kevin T. Porter everywhere. I'll lift up uh, freaking I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the movie that... Let's just say I'm thinking of I'm thinking of ending things a lot these days. Ever since I saw <laughs> it, like a, a week ago or whatever. Nice. Uh, a dark movie, not for everyone. I don't recommend it for watching with mom and dad at home during quarantine in your house. But maybe you give it a shot. So that's all I have to lift up. And you can lift us up at Christian Fun Pod everywhere. You can go to fa- uh, patreon.com slash goodchristianfun for more good Christian fun every week. And you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review you leave, we donate a dollar to charity. And this month's charity is Glitz. William Matthews, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, sir. What a Aww. treat, a joy, a and pleasure. a pleasure thank you so much. to worship alongside you today. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Caroline. You guys of- really are good Christian fun. Yes, finally, someone said it. We've been waiting. Yeah, no one ever says it, you know? That we, are, like, it turns out, and we've been waiting. That was going to be our finale, but, like, I, turns I out the real more. good Christian fun was yeah, you. Yeah, can you give us a couple of yeah, readings Yeah, I, I was going to okay. do it like the radio show. <laughs> hey, everybody, it's William Matthews, and you are listening to Kevin and Caroline at Good Christian Fun. And okay. Can you do the Mickey Mouse one? New too. drop. <laughs> 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 Hey, y'all, when I'm in Pasadena, I kick it with my good friends, Kevin and Caroline from Good Christian Fun. They're the coolest cats around, and I want you to listen to their podcast. The more you know. Thank you, William. Okay, there's nothing left to say except for, and all of Pod's people said, Amen. 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 Let's say, Amen. 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 We're not in the right key, but it's fine. Uh, yeah, we're harmonizing in different keys. It's great. Uh, let's go out. Let's go out with a big old smithereen-inducing bang <laughs> with wrecking ball. And everyone, find something to wreck in your life. Whatever sin is in your life, find it and just beat it down and just absolutely smash and destroy it. Whatever it is, ride that ball so hard. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> Goodbye. See this That was a headgum podcast. <laughs>